Escapee. How'd you get here? <laughs> she would like to be, be on like, the podcast. Say, I love you. Hey, murder lovers. My name's Mackenzie. And this is Fatina. And you're listening to Stranger Danger, a true crime podcast. Welcome back. Vanessa Gillen's remains were found. So I want to do... shit. I really, really want to do... There's so many that I want to do episodes on. Like, I want to do Lori Vallow. Everybody knows one of my top questions for 2020 was where are Lori Vallow's kids? Yep. Um, But, and then also the same one with um, Vanessa. There's so many really interesting cases right now, but there's so much unknown that it doesn't make any sense to do it right now because we'd have to follow up. Yeah. Right. And we don't like, I feel like that would be an entire episode on corrections just right off the gate. Or right now it would be a lot of what ifs. So yeah, I mean, even if we're left with a lot of what ifs at the end, which happens in a lot of cases, I think it will be, it'll do the case a lot more justice if we wait till at least it's gone through the court system and we don't have to say, you know, allegedly once we know things are concrete and what have a better idea of what may have happened. I mean, right now we know that for sure Vanessa Gann's remains were found. Yep. And there have been... Suspects named. Suspects named. And one of them is in court and is going to get, I believe, arraigned on the 14th of July. And one of them has killed himself. Correct. Or did he? Dun, dun, dun. Well, I mean, that's a whole nother thing. Once we do the (laughs) Vanessa episode... I promise that I will look into as much as I can with what the fuck is happening at Fort Hood. Because there were the remains of another soldier while they were looking for Vanessa that were found. And he was also, not also, but he was declared AWOL a year ago. Yeah. And so there's a lot of, I don't know, shit happening at this base. Um, And that's just the tip of the iceberg. So... Eventually, I will do a deep dive for you guys because I will do it anyway. So <laughs> might as well write down some stuff and and share the information with you guys. Yeah. So there's that. And then um, what else has happened in the true crime world? Well, Lori Vallow, the update on that is people have been charged and they're being, since the last time we met... They've had their charges dropped and charges added. Right. But I still haven't seen anything about murder charges. Am I behind? I don't no. think anyone's actually no. been charged with murder Nothing, yet. No one's been charged with murder. We know some glimpses of um, the way that the kids' bodies were found. I mean, and this is all over the news, that the kids were dismembered. And put into plastic bags before the, being put in the ground, right? So JJ was put in a plastic bag, I believe, and Tylee's body was found burned. Oof. I, it sounds like everything was done post-mortem, but again, I don't know that for sure yet. But that's right. the way it's at least been depicted so far in the media, but that one's just... Ugh. Right. Yeah. All right, guys. So, I mean, like we said, we don't want to speculate and we're glad there's updates and that these things are not being stagnant and that things are moving along. Uh, Unfortunately, 
bodies are being recovered, but at least that'll help uh, with some answers and get them through our legal system and, and we'll see what happens. So once we know more, we'll give you another update. But today... We're doing a good old-fashioned hometown. Dun, dun, dun. Just kidding. What is it? I, I don't even know what you're doing today. This one uh, gets me all jazzed up because it takes me back to, like, my roots as far as, like, why I love true crime so yeah. much. Um, so this is a continuation of our Mindhunter series. Yeah! Woo! That's awesome. What's their theme song? I don't expect it to come from me. Insert here. <laughs> I'm picking it back up, but at this point, we have covered Ed Kemper, Monty Rissell. So this is number three, because I like to be organized and do it in order of appearance. So I'm following order of appearance in the show. So this takes us to Jerry Jeremy Brudos, the shoe fetish killer. Oh, that guy. (laughs) Yeah, that guy. If you haven't seen the episode, I'll tell you why he got, how he gets his name. (laughs) The shoe fetish guy? (laughs) Yeah. It's a pretty graphic scene, actually. It is. It makes me very uncomfortable when that happens. Actually, I'll just tell you guys now. So for those of you who don't, haven't actually seen the show, spoiler alert, skip ahead like a minute. But there is a scene where they are interviewing Jerry Brudos and Oregon. He's at he's Oregon based. So that's why I said we have a hometown because he's from Oregon. One of the ways they get him to talk is they bring in a high heeled shoe. And everybody, <laughs> if you know about Jeremy Brudos, he has a, like a huge infatuation with shoes, which we'll get into. But he takes the shoe off into a corner during the interview and actually masturbates while holding the shoe with the FBI sitting in the um the same room yeah I, I mean i don't even want to call it a room because it's like a interrogation cell it's, it's i mean yeah it's like it is it's like a, a common area though that has like a, it's almost like a, a cage, cage around it's it but cage, i mean yeah. again that's a setting for a show so who knows if that's actually what it looks mm. like in there very um graphic yeah and it just made you very uncomfortable and i right. think that was kind of the point of it but my research today is going to be from Wikipedia, all things interesting, uh, the book Mindhunter, obviously, and then uh, a book by Peter Vronsky called Serial Killers, the Method and Madness of Monsters. So Jeremy Jerry Brudos, which I'll use the his first name interchangeably, mostly because I just can't break my habit of doing that. Yeah. So I'm talking about the same person in both instances. <laughs> Um, He was born on January 31st of 1939 in Webster, South Dakota. His family moved around the Pacific Northwest, but eventually settled in Salem, Oregon. Oh. Holla. Yeah. Except like, not exactly the flex we really want, but you know. (laughs) Uh, He was the youngest of two boys and his mom was actually really upset because she wanted a girl and he's obviously the second boy. So when he was born, she was super disappointed because she had wanted a daughter And so that became kind of a source of contention. Yeah. Yeah. It was definitely like it created tension between Jerry and his mom. And she kind of took out all of that irritation and anger of the fact that she's stuck with another boy on her son, which is actually hilarious because he ends up like really exhibiting signs of like potentially more more than just like cross-dressing if you will oh he could have been the daughter that she always wanted (laughs) got it yeah um but obviously his like tendencies take a darker turn right but he's always been inclined towards women's clothing and women's like feminine stuff yeah so like i said she became 
kind of violent about all of this. And he kind of took the brunt of all of the emotional and physical abuse. So they kind of had that strained relationship anyway. And his feelings and perception about women in general is kind of shaped based off of this relationship that he has with his mom. So for example, when he's five years old, he is playing in a local junkyard and he finds a stiletto heel. Oh, and my understanding is that he actually found a pair of them, although they didn't match and he brings them home. He's really fascinated by them. And like, he kind of has like a sensation about these shoes. Like there's something that he hadn't really ever seen before. It's not something his mom ever wore. Oh, so he was like really into these shoes. Okay. And so he brings them home and he makes a mistake of actually like trying them on for his mom at five thinking like it's really innocent at five yeah he's five which is like you know the kids that they clank around in their mom's shoes what's he doing at the junkyard well i mean it's the 40s so oh shit yeah that's little yeah they don't know fear yet (laughs) so his mom just completely flips out on him for actually trying on the shoes and calls tells him he's a wicked boy <laughs> and she tells him that he needs to get rid of the shoes. And this kind of ignites this fetish for women's shoes because he's already has that fascination with the shoes, but they become like association with like evil to him. Right. Something he can't have. He yeah, wants it. Of right. Course. Exactly. You tell a kid that they can't have something, they're going to want it more. Exactly. And you can't quite understand like what her upset is about it, but it kind of, like, piques his interest. Sure. So he actually doesn't get rid of the shoes, and his mom discovers him later on wearing the shoes and takes them away and destroys them by burning them. (gasps) And then also punishes Jeremy, like, pretty harshly as far as, like, physically goes. spanking him. It's not very detailed, but it does sound like it was pretty violent, and I don't know that it's, like, just spanking. Okay. It sounds like they have a pretty violent relationship. So Right. So again, this like just heightens that sensation that like these shoes are like taboo or whatever. Of course. He doesn't quite understand like what the taboo is, but it, it associates the shoes with something that is, it's the forbidden fruit. Forbidden. Right. Yeah, exactly. So then he kind of takes to stealing shoes from his mom and his teachers and neighbors and stuff. Teachers. (laughs) Yeah. Which I'm like, how did you do when that? When did your teacher the, take her shoes off? The only thing I can think of is like that they wore different shoes into the building or something like that. Maybe. Or like had a spare. Or, I don't know. Or, you know, everything was probably relatively local at that time. He broke into his teacher's house or something like that. Uh, maybe. So he would like take things from them um, as far as shoes would go and kind of had started to build this collection of women's shoes. Like I said, this could have gone a lot differently right. <laughs> if it was during a different time period. Huh. But, and this is really interesting too. So Jerry then as a child, he becomes a pretty sickly kid. He has two leg operations to correct a circulation issue and he has fungal infections of the feet. So that's because he's putting on strange shoes. I mean, (laughs) actually, maybe I didn't even think of that. The part that I was kind of like. Hello, like, there's a really clear connection here. Right. Like, if you struggle with circulation on your feet and you you have fungal infections in your feet, and my guess is your feet aren't looking too pretty, and then, bing, bang, boom, you put on a pair of high heels and you're a new woman. Right. Like, 
my, like, I can only imagine that that took something that he was very self-conscious about and gave him confidence. Of course. It's like, you know, putting makeup on when you're not feeling too good or, you know, whatever. And everything I read didn't really provide any type of correlation between the two, but it seems really obvious to me. Right. So... There's that. And so his infatuations kind of develop from there. It turns into like an underwear fetish as well, which he's also steals from people. Um, And he says, as far as like underwear goes, he really likes the scent and the feeling of them. Cool, 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 cool. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, you do you. I'm like, clean ones or? I hope so. He's like, I love the smell of laundry. Love it. Probably not. (laughs) That ocean breeze scent. (laughs) So now his type of fetish was later described as it's a particular type of fetish. So fetishes for specific objects or particular types of partners are called paraphilias. Okay. Is that how it's pronounced? I have no idea. Hold, please. I think I was trying to connect to my headphones. Paraphilia. Paraphilias. Wait, was that me? No, that was my phone. Fuck, it sounded like me. No, it was Google. That was weird. Did they take your voice? I Did your know. FBI agent steal your voice? Oh my god! <laughs> Did that not sound like me? I didn't even notice. Hold on, let me play it again. You guys tell me. Paraphilia. It does kind of sound like Dude, you. Dude, that sounds like me. I'm freaking out. <laughs> You're like, was that me? <laughs> Google, you owe me for every time you have to say that. <laughs> Direct deposit's fine. So his type of fetish, according to Google, a.k.a. Fatina, is um, paraphilias. So this is predominantly a male issue. It's accompanied by deep shame surrounding this type of fetish. So So that's just for objects in general, not specific to shoes? Objects in general are particular partner types that stem from a shameful source. Partner type. So like, for example, if you're like, in the closet or something okay. like that. And you're, you live like, uh, let's say like you live a straight lifestyle, but you're into a particular, as a man, you're into a particular type of male, but you keep that hidden. Um, and that is dry. Like your partner choice is something that you hide because it's like a shameful sure. thing to you. So like, it could be something like that. Um, it could or be, is it because the objects are like female related? It doesn't have to be female related. So it can be something like, um, for well, I mean, example. Like just because c- it, could, it could be like belts and I don't know what else is specifically to males. It but. has to be from a place of shame, though. Something that you keep hidden. So like, for example, BTK strangling himself on the low sure. is probably falls into this category because it was something that he kept hidden. But it's a fetish. Right. Exactly. Oh, wow. Or Learned like, um. Today foot fetishes and stuff like that sure yeah yeah because when you say shoe fetish i think foot fetish but it's not it's the shoe itself right it's the object not right the body part right and for him it's something shameful because it's not that he just likes women's shoes he likes wearing them uh yeah yeah so it'd be one thing to be drawn to a woman wearing specific types of shoes where you're like, God damn, look, work those right. heels. Go on mama. Mm-hmm. But it's not, it's like, Oh, I want to wear them. Got it. And so you try and hide it. That's super interesting. Right. So don't hide it. Don't. <laughs> if we learned anything here today. So the violence 
between him and his mom kind of continues to escalate and it um, is very much associated with him and his sexuality. So you have like this type of fetish that he's struggling with and trying to keep hidden from her with the shoes and everything like that. But also later on, he's punished by his mom when she finds his brother's porn, his older brother's porn, and okay. she thinks it belongs to Jerry. And he never says that it's actually his brother's porn. He just takes like the brunt Aww. end of it. And then he's also punished again violently when he has his first wet dream and stains the sheets and she finds out about it and like beats the hell out of him. And so for Jerry, he begins to associate like these sexual fantasies or these sexual instances with violence. So like looking at porn or having access to porn means I'm going to get beaten and having my, this wet dream that obviously comes from like some type of sex dream or something like that, Mm -hmm. then I get beaten. So like the sexual instances then lead to violence. So the two are correlated in his head. Of course. And that's, that's where we develop serial killers. Apparently. (laughs) So not only is like this becoming the um, the association in his head, but his fantasies then become violent. Of course. So his, you know, the things that he's dreaming about, the things that he's thinking about take the turn from just like regular sexual fantasies to violent fantasies. So for example, one of the first violent fantasies he has, he wants to keep like a girl prison imprisoned on his family's farm oh. so he actually begins to dig a tunnel on their farm because he has the like plan. actually yeah like he begins to actually dig a tunnel because his fantasy is that he's gonna imprison a girl in that tunnel and keep her hostage on the farm he wanted to keep her like a little mole like a little mole rat it yeah, kind of kind of weird yeah or like his little like underground sex slave type thing Jesus. A little modern That, that dick. must have been a big-ass hole he dug. I mean, who knows how far he got with it or anything like that. It just wasn't like he was trying to dig to China, but, like, the idea was he that he... He got six feet down. He's like, this is good. Yeah. I'm just kidding. It was fine. <laughs> It'll be fine. So, then as a teenager, he also took to, like, stalking women, and then he would choke them or knock them down until... Like it either his goal was to either catch them off guard and knock them down, or to choke them until they fell co- unconscious. The just randomly. So he would steal their shoes. He would see them on the street like their shoes. Oh. So this is what I'm saying. This goes more than just like a regular fetish of like, hey, I like your shoes. Right. Your legs look good in that. It was like I, I want your them. shoes. So he would follow these women, attack them, and then steal their shoes. Oh, jeez. you imagine, like, having some big old oaf, like, choke you out and wake up and your shoes are gone? <laughs> it's all, it's not funny, but... It's not funny, but it's hard to understand. It is hard. It's very hard because to understand. And it seems... It's comical. It, yeah, it seems really immature. Right. And that's the part that's just, like... It's almost... It, then it almost becomes comical because it seems so juvenile. Like I wasn't... Molested, raped. I wasn't right. beaten. I mean, probably they were hurting. But why the hell did he steal my but, shoes? But my shoes, like you, you reconcile everything, and you're like, I'm have my wallet, my keys, whatever, yeah. and but I don't have my shoes. And I'm gonna start wearing flats now all the time. I tied yeah. up sneakers yep. all the time. <laughs> he like that was kind of his strategy, and then he became. Like, to add insult to injury, like, there's all of these other factors that are kind of, like, just making him just, like, this weirdo. He also becomes, like, this really, really awkward teenager. He's 
just oversized, kind of oafy, like serious. <laughs> I don't know. Like, I was gonna say, is he good looking? No. Like, have the, you not seen the episode? I mean, yeah, but I don't have a good memory. Oh no, no, he's not. He's so not. this is this is another thing that, like, in my head, I'm like, okay, there's a correlation here because he becomes very like very big, very. Um, he's kind of like. Ed Kemper, Kemper, but a little shorter and a little rounder. Okay. And his facial features are all like kind of round and swollen and stuff like that. Sure. So Ed Kemper was just like really tall and carried his weight really well. Right. Whereas like Jeremy Brudos didn't really carry his weight very well. And I mean, his acne left like serious scarring uh, and like okay. keloids and stuff like sure. that. So just. I asked that because I, I was wondering, was his appearance something that made it easy for him to approach women to for the attack or was it something that he I had think that to was, completely surprise them? So I think that was part of the reason that he like snuck up on them and would like do these things to like knock them unconscious is because he, no he was self-conscious. But another thing that makes me kind of like wonder about this is that as somebody who's like really into like the feminine look, mm-hmm. like he likes the shoes, he likes the underwear and he likes this and he likes that. No matter what he does, he will... Like, in that day and age, he's going to look like a guy right? walking around in women's clothing. Right. Like, he's not he's not going to ever be unclockable. So right. does that heighten the frustration for him? It's like, I want to look this certain way. I like this type of look, but it, that is never going to be me. Right. So does that create further frustration in the of fact course. that he just looks like this big man in women's clothing rather than it. looking any type of feminine in it? Right, just he look- looks very masculine no matter how hard right. he tries. exactly. Okay. Again, this is just my speculation. Me thinking I'm a psychiatrist or something. <laughs> At 17, this is where he kind of commits, like, his first, I don't want to say his first violent crime, but, like, things escalate. So he kidnaps a teenage girl at knife point, and he kind of does this by luring her into his room with a story about being undercover for the police, and he needs her help with something. And she's like, okay, I know he's not undercover for the police. He was, like, 17 years old. But she also was like, he's harmless. She was a year older, and she was like, oh, he's harmless. He's just a big dork or whatever. Right, and like, big old teddy bear kind yeah. of Yeah. So she goes into his room and then he pulls a knife on her and then forces her to like pose naked for photos and threatens to stab her if she doesn't follow his demands and just like really kind of like freaks her out, makes her do all these things with this knife. But again, like doesn't like he doesn't sexually assault her in the sense of like molestation or rape or something like that. But he does like force her to take these photos. She doesn't want to take. And then he does like this really weird thing where he like, he does all of this in a mask but and then they know each other and he yeah so like that's the thing is like he lures her into his room but then like at some point like he's wearing a mask almost and like then, shame right or... and then he leaves the room comes back in not wearing a mask and says like oh my gosh somebody broke in and attacked you and i had nothing to do with this you're and she's joking. like you're completely out of your mind it was Whoa. obviously you like hello <laughs> um and he just like he's just very oh, that's weird. very odd. Yeah. And so he lets her go and she doesn't report him. She just like finds the whole thing like very disturbing and he just obviously seems like very just out of mind it. Yeah. Her. Right. And she I don't know why exactly she didn't report him, but she made the decision not to report him. And then so in April of 1956, so about the same age, he lures a girl from school to his car 
And uh, basically, I don't know if he's like saying that he's going to give her a ride home or whatever it's going to be. She gets into his car. He drives her to a remote location and tells her to take off her clothes. And she's like, nah, you picked the wrong one today. <laughs> Good. <laughs> she So she refuses and he drags her out of the car and starts beating her. Whoa. Breaks her nose. Um, and is like attacking her, and a couple sees the attack as they're driving by and oh, stops. Good. And he says that like he found her like that. Somebody else attacked her, and he's coming to her rescue or whatever. But the couple doesn't believe him at all, and so they actually take both of them. Somehow they manage to get both of them into their car and take them to the police. And at this point, the police search his room because he's involved in this violent crime. They get a search warrant, search his room, and they find photos from the previous attack with the girl where he told her that to take off her clothes and take the naked photos. So that's why this case actually even, or they even know that this crime was committed because the girl didn't report it. They find all these like really graphic photos of this girl that's being taken against her will. And so he's arrested for this and as, you know, Every story goes, he ends up in the psychiatric ward of the Oregon State Hospital. Ooh. And for all of you who remember, that (laughs) that was the episode where the rat poisoning took place. Right. So he ends up at the psych ward of the Oregon State Hospital for nine months. And during this time, doctors determine that he has uh, sexual fantasies revolving around his hatred and anger for women and his mom specifically but women in general. But even with the violent sexual fantasies, the psychiatrists say that he possesses no evidence of homicidal tendencies. Okay. I'm like, he attacked a girl at knife point and broke her nose, and he wants to hold people in underground. Especially a bigger guy. I mean, who's to say he's he's not one punch away from actually killing someone? He wants to hold girls in underground tunnels as prisoners, like... That sounds like something to me. Right. So, oh my, I'm like, are you the same doctors that like evaluated M. Kemper and all these other people? Like, did you all like get together? Is there like a committee of you that you're like, how can we mess this up? This is the part that's so frustrating. It's the exact same story for all of them. He's diagnosed, drum roll, schizophrenic. Like, even though there's no signs that anybody's Mm -hmm. talking to him and he's not hearing any voices and he's not paranoid and he's not delusional, they're like, you don't make sense. Here's this box. Right. You're either schizophrenic or you're bipolar. One of the two. More often than not, they labeled them as schizophrenic. So they're mm, like, yeah. we don't know how to deal with you. And like what you're saying and doing is unusual, but we don't really have it categorized. So we're just going to call you schizo. That's yeah. A lot of the cases are like that. It literally, it's like <clears throat> you write the same book about all of them and just change out the name. Anyways. So... Jerry graduated with his class in 1957 because he was allowed to attend school during the days. So he left the hospital, go to school, come back to school, or come back to the hospital, do his treatment, everything like that. And everybody just kind of went about their business. So he graduated high school on time. I don't, I'm like, but he attacked the girl at, like he, this happened at school. Like he picked her up at school and took her somewhere and then beat the ever living hell out of her maybe don't send him back to that school. Right. I don't know. Just crazy idea. <laughs> just throwing it out there. See if you catch it. Yeah. So interestingly enough, when he was arrested later on 
and kind of became like infamous for who he was and everything like that. Nobody from his school remembered him. Wow. He was very um, reclusive and kind of flew under the radar and didn't really like socialize with anybody. So like it came out who he was, what school he went to, and like people were interviewed and everything like that. And they're like, (laughs) that reminds me of Luca Magnata. Like I remember him as not memorable. (laughs) (laughs) And that's exactly what he was. It was just kind of like, who? I think I went to school with him. Yeah. IDK, my BFF Jill. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so just kind of flew under the radar. He became an electronics technician after he graduated. He served in the military for some time. But really? As always, he was discharged and um, deemed unfit for service. Not exactly sure what kind of discharge it was, but reports indicated it was due to his fetishes and my assumption is that this kind of fell under don't ask don't tell and maybe Um, was caught like wearing women's clothing or something like that and they were like sir you can't wear lacy panties when you're in fatigue yeah Yeah, no that's not gonna go together so but yeah he was discharged and deemed unfit for service based on these things and all signs point to the fact that it was just because he was a real weirdo and He ended up getting married in 1961 to a girl who was 17 after she became pregnant. 61, so he was... 22? Yeah, 22. She was 17. She got knocked up. They got married. It doesn't sound like it was, like, a love type of thing. It was, like, a... um, Shotgun type wedding. Yeah, like, they started dating. She got pregnant it was during a time period where you didn't really want to have a kid out of wedlock. He was like, cool, I have somebody to have sex with all the time. And she's like, all right, I have somebody to take care of my baby, so let's do it. And, like, that's what they did. She has actually since changed her name or at least withheld her name from any type of publishing. So I don't know who she is, but that's just, like, a note. But there was a wife. There was a wife. There are kids. They don't want to be associated. I don't blame them. No names will be mentioned as far as they go. Um, but she, in interviews later on, said that she was completely unaware of his fetishes to the extent that they were. Okay. So I'll explain. So maybe, like, oh, you'll explain. Yeah, okay, good. I'll explain. So, like I said, they'd been dating for a bit when she got pregnant. She was really desperate to escape some really strict parents. He really just wanted the sexual partner. So they got married, and they settled in Salem and had two kids. During this time, he would have her do housework naked while wearing heels, and he would take pictures of her. So that's what I mean. She kind of knew about his fetishes. Listen. Right. You see <laughs> my face. I mean, I what wish What happens I could... <laughs> between married couples, okay? Like, I don't Essentially, know that... then go ahead. I don't know that that's a fetish. Like, that seems, like, relatively normal to me. So, like, that's I why mean, I say... it is kind of fetishy, though, because it's, like, it the maid and, like, you're dressed and, up. Yeah, if it happens and... more than once and it's, like, a continual sure. thing, then yeah. So she's like, I'm unaware of his fetishes, but he did really like me to do this, this, and this. And, like, those are also things that he wanted other people to do. So, like, was I entirely unaware of it? No. So, like, she knew, but I don't think she knew to, like, what extent. Right. Because at this point, she's like, I'm doing something for my husband, something he likes. We're Mm -hmm. both consensually doing it. But she didn't know he was asking other people maybe to do that. Hmm. Yeah. And she said at one point that he had, like... They'd gotten a fight or something, and he came out, like, as some way to make a point, like, wearing, like, her lingerie or something like that. To make a point. Or something. Like, there was was some instance where he comes out wearing that, and she was like, 
okay, like, that's not a pretty picture. And then, like, he abruptly, like, goes back into the room and changes or whatever. So I'm like, were you unaware? Because, listen, if... That doesn't uh, happen often. Nope, nope. Or, yeah. I could see somebody, like, doing it to be funny, like, as a joke, like maybe I, I yeah. could see sure, sure, I sure. could see a guy doing like Chandler. Um, Chandler does that in an episode of Friends where but, he puts on Julia Roberts. He puts on her underwear, oh, remember? Right. And yeah, it's like that whole thing. So like I could see that. Joey puts on a pair of women's underwear at one point and then Phoebe makes him change because all of a sudden it becomes like this whole thing. So like funny, ha ha. Yeah. But like Yeah, it it can be in a funny, but um in the middle of a fight to make a point. Yeah. Or just I like, don't know what point you're making, sir, but you missed it. You missed the point. Yeah. I missed the point. So I'm like, I don't really know that she was really unaware. Maybe she was just naive and didn't like really understand. And that's possible. I mean, if someone's young, rural yeah, Salem, like if someone does is not exposed to something outside of, you know, what sex is supposed to be Yeah, there's for. no internet and stuff like that right, at this point. At this point. Yeah. So then she might just be sheltered and she didn't know any better. Right. He got into the wrong door. I'm just kidding. <laughs> over and over again. Sure. So he also developed like this really weird relationship with his kids. So his firstborn was a daughter and he avoided all contact with his daughter. He wouldn't spend any time with her. He wouldn't like do anything with her. Interesting. And... When his son was born later on, it was completely different. Like, he paid a lot of attention to his son. They would go and do things together. Um, This became, like, a real source of contention between the couple because, like, he was obviously neglecting their daughter and wouldn't explain why. Right. Um, But he, yeah, like, he wouldn't have anything to do with his daughter and focused entirely on his son. You'd think it would be the other way around. Unless, I don't, though. Um, I think his parental instincts kick in and tell him, like, I would think that they would be like, nurture the boy, not even nurture the boy, but don't borrow trouble when it comes to your daughter. Yeah. If you're feeling a certain type of way and you're inclined towards certain type of things and you feel like there's any chance that you would hurt your own child, I think you would like avoid it. That kind of thing, rather than invite trouble. Sure, just because he didn't have a good relationship with women. Right, and he's saying maybe that's the reason. Right. So, as they're growing up, wife is doing housework naked in the heels, blah, blah, blah. Early on in their marriage, he started complaining of migraines and having, like, these weird blackout episodes. He would, during this time go and steal shoes and steal underwear from people. And he claimed that it was a blackout, but then he'd also say that like stealing shoes and underwear from people helped with his migraines. (laughs) So I have another show reference. So you remember that episode of Grey's Anatomy where the guy uses porn as a pain reliever? That's I think what he's trying to do is like say that like, this is helping my migraines. Stealing from people helps my migraines. (laughs) I'm sorry. I'm a migrainer and (laughs) That's so laughable. I know. But that's what he would like. I think later on, that's how he justified it. He's like, oh, it's just like, it would help with my symptoms. (laughs) (laughs) Sir, please go fuck off. Yeah. All the way. All the way fuck off. So within a few years, they'd had their two kids. The couple stopped being intimate altogether. He's off stealing and like rubbing himself down with women's underwear or something like that. Mm. And 
the wife during this time claims that she actually becomes repulsed by the idea of having sex with him. Huh. And um, his violence at this point kind of starts to escalate. I don't know if it's because they stopped having sex or mm. something else, but she becomes disgusted with him. He gets increasingly violent. So in 1967, Brutus is walking downtown and he fixates on a pair of shoes that are being worn by a woman that's walking. He follows her home and then later that night, he comes back, breaks into her house, strangles her until she falls unconscious and then rapes her. And this is like his first, like, this is where things escalate. So it's not just a point of like attacking people, holding a knife point, choke him out, steal their shoes, take off. He like actually like violently sexually assaults her. And then, tried and true, he steals her shoes. Really? Yeah. So now it's become his trophy. Mm Mm-hmm. So he steals the shoes and leaves, and he does not kill her. She does survive this attack. Her name has been withheld a year later. In January of 1968, Linda Slauson is 19 years old, and she's selling encyclopedias door-to-door. She (laughs) knocks on Jeremy Brudos's door, and he pretends that he's interested in buying her encyclopedias. Mm. That was also in an episode of Friends. This is a great one. This is a lot of references. A lot of references to Friends. And one book of these. Yeah, do you think that I can afford to do this? (laughs) So he buys the one. Anyway, so he pretends that he's interested in buying from her. He lures her inside and down to the basement while his own mother is upstairs watching their kids. I'm sorry, what? There's this theory. Did he do this because his mom was upstairs and it was like a big middle finger to her. Do this right underneath where she was with his own kids. Oh. Yeah. Jeez. Just like out of spite type thing. Yeah. So down in the basement, he knocks her out with a wooden plank and strangles her. And this is the first woman that we know of that he kills. He takes her now dead body and dresses her up in different stolen underwear and shoes and arranges her in different poses and take photo takes photos of this. So all of this is done with her postmortem. Hmm. He uses a hacksaw to cut off her left foot and puts the foot in his freezer that he later uses to like model his collection of high-heeled shoes. So he'll take the frozen foot out, put on a pair of shoes, take photos of like this chopped off foot with shoes on it and save the photos oh my god collection yeah disturbing i don't even know what to say to that yeah so did he cut off both feet nope just the left just the what yep that is so it's weird right like peculiar like why the why the left why one not two yeah i don't know it's very odd at all hmm He then takes her body and ties it to a car engine and dumps the body in the Willamette River. Oh, shit. His next victim, Karen Sprinkler, she is somewhere between 18 and 19 years old, and she is home from college and waiting to meet her mom for lunch at a downtown shopping center. Her mom shows up and waits an hour, but her daughter never shows, and her car is found abandoned. This happens in May of 1968, so this is just a couple months after Linda. He had approached her in the department store parking lot, and he was dressed in women's clothing. Oh. Now, like I said, he's a big man. Right, but now he's out in public doing this. And he looks like a A big big man man. dressed in women's clothing. Sure. It's clockable. 
Yeah. When police start interviewing shoppers, they report that a strange woman was lurking around the garage and witnesses said they thought it was probably a man dressed in women's clothing because of how large and just like awkward he looked. Of course. And this was kind of the first indication that he was really experimenting with full-blown, at the time, what would have been full-blown cross-dressing. So whether or not there was an identity issue or something like that, or he identified differently is unknown, but the cross-dressing was definitely a thing. So there are, like, these are kind of some indications that he was at least experimenting with that, Um, whether or not that was, like, a full um, hidden, like, transgender lifestyle or anything like that is really unknown. Um, But the reports do really seem to indicate more of a fetish for the cross-dressing and just wearing the women's clothing rather than wanting to be a woman. He just liked that aesthetic. He just wanted to do that. It goes to that that specific type of fetish that Mm -hmm. he has he in women's clothing kidnaps her at gunpoint and brings her to his garage and forces her by gunpoint to try on his collection of shoes and underwear poses while she while he takes photos of her how weird is that and then at this point he does keep her alive while he does all these things and rapes her, and then he eventually decides to strangle her with a pulley system in his garage. Whoa. So the pulley system is leveraged in a way that it actually will suspend the body off the ground. So he strangles her and then, like, hoists her up on this pulley system and leaves her body hanging above the ground and keeps it there for a period of time and rapes it over several (sighs) occasions. No. And... He cuts off her breasts and makes plastic molds out of them (gasps) and ties her to a car engine and dumps her in the Willamette. Oh my goodness. So I'm like, sir, do you just like have a car somewhere that you're just like pulling parts from and just like tying? Right. It's just weird. And then on November 26th of 1968, so again, the same year, a few months down the road, Jan Susan Whitney was 23 years old and her car was broken down on the I-5 between Salem and Albany when Brutus pulled over and offered her a ride. He told her that she could call a tow truck at his house and once he got her in the car, he strangled her in the car with a leather strap, took her then dead body to his house, raped her post-mortem. Oh, wow. And then hung the body again from the pulley. And in this case, he dressed the body, photographed it, and raped the corpse for several days. And then he cut off a single breast in this case. He made a resin mold of it to use as a paperweight because he didn't like the way the plastic one had turned out. So he did this type of mold and made it a paperweight. Now, you want to hear the really sick thing? No. The plastic ones? He didn't like how they turned out, so he put them up on the mantle of his house. And his wife was like, what the fuck is this? Are you shitting me? And he was like, oh, I'm just experimenting in like adult. A piece of art. just like- Yeah. Abstract adult art type thing. Like the, they were more of like the um, oh. erotic decorations sure. or whatever. And kept them as like decorations on the mantle. In the house? For his wife and kids the and everybody to see. Balls. I know. And it's just, ew, it just gives you the heaps. So then, interestingly enough, with this particular body, so remember, this happened on November 26th, so Thanksgiving was late that year. Okay. So he left the body 
in the house on the pulley over Thanksgiving weekend. And it just so happened that there was a car accident this weekend and a car went sailing into the house and knocked <gasps> a hole into the garage. Whoa. The, house, or the car literally drove a hole into the garage. Sure. So the police arrived. It's so random. Yeah, right? Like, what are the odds? Of someone, like, cars don't, I mean, they do, but so rarely. Well, so the police arrived to actually inspect the scene. Of course. Shone a light in there, (gasps) but didn't look up. No! And had they looked up, they would have seen her body hanging. Oh, my God. And so the police department left a card saying that they needed to come back to inspect the damage to make, like, a full report. Sure. So when Jerry got home, he obviously hid the body and all, like, everything that he kept in there and called the police and allowed them to come back and inspect everything. So he had time to, like, shove away things. But they literally were, like, just one flashlight stroke away from seeing what was going on. And they couldn't enter the property because they didn't have reasonable cause. Yeah. That is so interesting how things happen like that, you know? Just, I know. This like again, and it's that's like how they Ed Kemper keep getting away, right? having the head of somebody in, in his trunk. car. Yeah, and just While like visiting the police. Yeah. yeah. That is it's so just, crazy. It's bizarre to me. What's interesting though is like he didn't dispose of the body before calling the police and having them inspect. He hid it. And so after the police came back and did their inspection and everything like that, at that point, he then took the body and tied it to a railroad iron and again threw it in the Willamette River. And at this time, he also got rid of Slauson's foot because that had rotted over time. So you just threw it all. Now, the new year has rolled around and Sharon Wood is 24 years old when he attempts to abduct her at gunpoint in a store parking lot. And this is on April 21st of 1969, but she is the one that gets away. Oh, good. So she fights him off, gets away, and this infuriates him. So the very next day, he kidnaps Gloria Smith, who's 15 years old. 15? But again, she gets away. Yes. So we have two now that gets away. Damn, he's slipping. And now he's Of course. So again, the next day, so again, the 21st, the 22nd, and now the 23rd of April, he abducts Linda Saley, who's 22 years old, from a shopping mall parking lot in Portland. Okay. So now he's up in here in Portland. Yeah. She had been there shopping for a birthday present for her boyfriend, and then he thought it was suspicious when she never showed up to meet him that night for his birthday. Coworkers reported her missing the next day when she didn't come into work. And during this time, Jeremy Brudos had brought her to his garage where he had raped her and strangled her. But in this case, he decided not to cut her breasts off because they were just too pink for him. Excuse me? Your face. (laughs) Yeah, he wasn't partial to the color. Okay. (laughs) So instead, and this like, this actually like makes my whole body cringe. Now remember, she's dead at this point. Which kind of alleviates a little bit of it, I think, for her sake. But it just, like, really, it's horrifying. He takes, I don't know if they're, like, jumper cables or whatever it is, but he tries to drive an electrical current through the body and tries to make it jump. What? Yeah. Like, he literally sticks, like, wires in through her ribcage. Literally, like sends electric currents through her body to try to get it to move. Just to make her convulse? Yeah. Yeah, it's like he's trying to make her move. 
he decides to get rid of her, so he ties the body to a car transmission and again throws it in the Willamette. Jesus, does he have a junkyard? I'm telling you, I'm never going the Willamette ever again after this one. Oh my god. Yeah. Seriously. It just, ugh. There's a lot of controversy during this time about whether or not his wife really knew what was going on. Yeah, you're in the fucking house. Like, unless he has a, like, I need to know, like, his property. Like, is there a, is it a shed, like, outside of the house? Is it connected? Like, like, what the fuck was she doing not seeing all this? Right, well, and she wasn't allowed to enter the garage or the basement without permission. Which I'm like... Of course she wasn't. Yeah, so she wasn't allowed to enter into the basement or the garage without permission. She needed... If he was in there, she was required to use an intercom system to communicate with him and get permission before entering. I can't. Yeah. So his wife said that at one point she'd found photos of him dressed up in women's lingerie. And this is where she kind of reported, like... She'd found the molds of the breasts and asked him what they were. And he said that they were like erotic novelties that he'd made. And then at that point sat one up on their mantle. And just like the smell alone that should have been kind especially the one after Thanksgiving where it had just been sitting there all weekend. Like it had, like you had to know something was going on. The smell of that or running electrical current current through something. Right. A a body or, or blood. Right. Well, the, yeah, and, and it's like you used a hacksaw to cut, like, that's why, there. like I said, there's a lot of controversy, because people say even if she didn't know exactly what was going on, she knew something was going on, and she just didn't say anything. Right, she just turned a blind eye to it. Right. Also, like, he would dress up in high heels, like I said, she'd found photos of him, but he'd dress up in high heels and, high heels and masturbate after each one of his murders, And I don't know if, like, she was aware of that or what the deal was with that whole situation. But just, like, there's a lot of, like, big red flags. Big red flags. Yeah. So in May of 1969, a fisherman discovered a body floating in the Willamette River. And two days later, the police discovered another body. And these were of Sprinkler and Saley. Saley's body showed the two puncture marks, one on either side of her ribs from when he had tried to electrocute her and they like had small burns there. And Sprinkler's body was kind of like the way her body was found. It looked really odd because she was wearing a bra that was much too big for her. And when police actually like took a look at the body, what they found was that her breasts were missing because he'd cut them off. Right. But he had put one of his bras on her from his stash it was a bra that was much bigger than oh, her size. And he stuffed it with towels to make her look like she had bigger, she was a bigger chested woman than she actually was. Whoa. And the bra was like an old, outdated bra. Like there's some suspicion that it might have been his mom's bra. Oh. Yeah. It's like the epitome of mommy issues. So. Oh. Both were mutilated. Both were tied to car parts with ties known to electrical technicians using wire that was the same. So mm. they pretty quickly put together. There had to be one common guy connected. To right. There was a connection between yeah. all of them. Okay. Downside is, is that they were found in the river. So any type of evidence was washed away from right. the body. So police began asking students on a nearby school campus about suspicious men. And a student came forward about a guy who called the communal phone at school and he would call and ask for a random girl's name. He'd be like, hi, I need to speak with Jennifer. And somebody would go get a Jennifer 
he would tell the girl who came to the phone that he'd gotten her name from a friend of theirs, but never said who the friend was. And he would ask that person who came to the phone if they would be interested in going on a date with him, that he was an older man, that he was a Vietnam vet, and he was looking for a date. So weird. Yeah. And one agreed to go on a date with him, but refused to see him again because she got a weird vibe. So again, like he's calling this phone, just asking for random girls. And then whoever comes to the phone, like a random girl's name. It's not like he knew whoever, like he didn't know Jennifer Hilton. He was just hoping for a female to answer the phone. Can I talk to Jennifer? Like a common girl's name and wait for a Jennifer to come to the phone. Yeah, exactly. Like I said, one agreed to go on a date with him, but she got a really weird vibe from him and refused to see him again. Said that they had talked a lot about the missing girls, but this wasn't unusual because everybody was kind of talking about them. The part that freaked her out was when he dropped her off. He said, how did you know I'd bring you home and not take you to the river and strangle you? Oh my God. You didn't, and that's why you don't trust strangers. Yep. (laughs) So the police convinced this girl to set up another date with the man And they were waiting in the lobby when Jeremy and Brudos arrived to pick her up for their date. So they questioned him, but obviously couldn't take him into custody because he hadn't committed any crime at this point that Mm. they knew of. They just needed to know who the heck it was. Right. At this point, he freely invited them to his house, said, you can come check things out. They showed up and he was like, cool, yeah, go ahead and search around, see what happens. And when they were searching... They saw this specific cord that was knotted in a certain way. And one of the officers pointed out and was like, this is an interesting knot. And Jeremy was like, oh, yeah, you can take that or whatever. Huh. The knot matched the The knots on on the the girls. And so did the material that the knot was tied with. Do we know if he had a boat? Like, how was he taking them out to the river every time? I think he was just like, I think he was driving the body up and dumping it. Just over a cliff or something. Maybe. I don't know. Probably. He was brought in for a lineup based on, like, this knot. Yeah. So he was ID'd by an assault victim in a lineup, and I think that this was from the girl, that one of the women that he just, like, choked and stole her shoes or whatever. Okay. Or one of the... The two that got away. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And at this point, he was arrested for the assault, but they had also found that he had firearms on him that weren't weren't registered to him legally. So they he had guns in his car. So mm. he was arrested based on these charges. And when he was taken into custody, he called his wife and told her to go in the garage and burn all of the photos and clothes that he had in the garage. Wait, he called her? Called his wife. And and said... said. Said, I have a stash in the garage. I need you to go out there and burn it. Which you have again permission to enter my garage. Which then again goes back to, like, she must have known something. Because he's just like, hey, go in the garage and burn all that shit. And she's like, all right. Wait, she did? No, she tells him she's going to. But she doesn't. Thank goodness. So during interrogation, Jeremy Brutos confessed to all four murders, attempted kidnappings, and the earlier assaults. And police got a search warrant for his house because of this. And the wife had just kind of left everything sitting where it was. And so they found the nylon rope used to tie the bodies to the car parts. uh, Mm. Photos of all the dead women and all the trophies that he'd kept, like all their underwears, their cut off breasts and molds and everything like that. They'd found all this stuff. He was found guilty for the murders of Linda Saley, Jan Whitney, and Karen Sprinkler. He was sentenced to three consecutive life sentences for their deaths. He was not convicted for the murder of Linda Slauson because her body was not found and he didn't keep any photos of this body. 
Oh, interesting. Mm-hmm. Did, but he did he confess to that? He did confess to it, but he later retracted his confessions, obviously. Got it. Jan Whitney's body was found a month after his conviction, about a mile downstream from where he tossed it, but they were able to get a conviction for her based off of the photos that he had taken of her. So they found these photos, and she was already missing. He'd confessed, so they were able to get a conviction for that one. He was convicted, like I said, of the three consecutive life sentences. So he served his time at Oregon State Penitentiary in Salem. And during his time in prison, Brudos kept piles of women's shoes catalogs. And he would write major companies asking them to send him... He did not. Her, ...their magazines. Yeah. So he said this substituted for porn. Um, and he would keep these shoe catalogs as, like, yeah, his porn. Um, of course. He also, during this time, lodged several appeals. One in particular noted that a photo taken of him with one of the victim's body could not prove guilt because it wasn't a person that he was convicted of killing. So, so what the fuck do you think that means? You know <laughs> yeah, I have no idea. Like, it's just, he's just a hot mess. So... In 1995, a parole board finally had enough of him and told Brutus he was never going to get released. Don't even bother at this point. And for a sex offender, he actually managed to get pretty high privileges. You know, sex offenders don't do well in prison. Nobody likes them. Um, So they have to be pretty careful. But for the most part, he managed to be okay. He had a few accidents, quote unquote. Um, But he wouldn't name anybody. So I think that's part of the reason that, like, he managed to not get himself killed. Because he wasn't snitching. Right. Yeah. Because snitches get stitches. Yeah. And on March 28th of 2006, he died from liver cancer. He'd spent 37 years behind bars. And his wife um, was also, during this time, charged as an accessory to murder, but was found not guilty. Whoa. To which murder? Do we know? Uh, it doesn't say to which murder. I would think just, just in, general, in general. She was charged as an accessory to murder. Like you should have known. Yeah. Or that maybe she was, she, not only that she should have known, but that she did know and she didn't would do anything known. about it. Right. Yeah. I think it was Super more like you knew something was going on and you didn't do anything about it. So you're kind of aiding and abetting. Yeah. Um, but she was found not guilty. And again, she's asked that her name be withheld. So I won't mention it, but. Mrs. Brudos, yeah. Yeah. And Super interesting. That is the story of Jeremy Brudos, the shoe fetish killer. Wow. What a loss. It's such that a shame he's so dead. That is so interesting that... The psychology behind him is very interesting. Right. And it's the psych- almost textbook. Yeah, it's very textbook. Crazy. So, yeah, that's... Now I want to go watch Mindhunter again. His is really interesting because he's a lot more, um, I don't want to say, like, personable, but he's he's kind of like this jolly man. Like, he's, like, super jolly and kind of like, uh, like, one of the open... The opening scene for him coming in and doing the interview is him laughing. You can hear him laughing. Mm. And it's kind of ominous sounding, but that's also kind of his personality in general is he's just kind of like this jolly green giant type thing. Interesting. And uh, he also has like this really weird like schoolboy haircut, hmm. even though he's a grown ass man. Yeah. Uh, but he just looks like this big oaf and he acts like it too. Yeah. And then you're like, oh, he's like actually like a cold-blooded killer who gets off on women's shoes. That is so weird. Yeah, he's a real weirdo. 
And oh, 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 that's why he would tell her that she needed to stay out of the garage is because he said that he was in there developing pictures. And if she opened the garage, she would destroy his photos. Oh. Yeah, because he was developing. He would turn it into a dark room. But she never saw these photos. Yeah. And again, the smell. I just, I'm not buying it. Right. Oof. Well, lesson, don't go in cars with strangers. Yep, that would be preferable. <laughs> if your car breaks down, stay with your car. Yep. And wear sneakers. <laughs> that would be helpful, too. But remind me, oh. on Mindhunter, they bring him a heel Yep. to entice him to talk, right? Yeah, it's like an incentive. Ed Kemper didn't really want anything. I think uh, one of the guys wanted like a soda or something like that. He wanted a specific type of soda. I don't know that that's what he wanted as much as they knew that that's what. They knew that's what he wanted. Yeah. So for the next one, yeah, it looks like Richard Speck is going to be the next one, which I'm also super excited to do. And then season two, we're going to like start doing things like Son of Sam is going to come into play Mm -hmm. here at some point. And then... The one that I think that we should partner on is going to be Charles Manson. Because oh, that's a Charles, Charles Manson has his own story that needs to be told, but Tex Watson is part of that story that I think is very overlooked. And I've got hmm. some theories that are going on with that whole dynamic. Okay. Um, so I think it would be interesting if, like... Potentially what we'll do with Charles Manson, no guarantees here, is like split that into two parts. One is like the story that everybody knows and the Charles Manson thing. And then part two would be like covering text and different theories. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Let me know when you want to do that. Yeah. That'll be interesting. So we got, we got a few more here. Um, Lined up. But if there's someone specific like us to cover, you can email us and that's at astrangerdreamerpodcast at gmail.com. All the photos and everything like that will be posted, and that will be over at our Instagram at a stranger danger podcast. You can visit us on Facebook at stranger danger colon a true crime podcast. And if we have any pictures that are graphic in nature or long videos or anything to share with you or more of our research materials, you can do that with the Facebook group stranger danger colon murder lovers. Follow us on Twitter using SD true crime pod. Thank you so much, you guys. Beware of stranger danger. Bye. Bye. (laughs)